Good morning. Take your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 23, if you would. Joshua 23. A couple people asked me uh, last week, are we going to get, what are we going to do with Joshua? Are we going to put it on pause? Are we going to, you know, like we were through chapters one through eight. I said, no, we're just going to fast forward to like the end of the movie. I don't know if you do that with anything that you watch in your life. You're like, yeah, I know the first, you know, half, first, you know, 90 minutes of the soccer game, but I'll just fast forward to the end and see what happened. Uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to fly to the end today and uh, wrap it up. And man, Joshua 23 and 24 are so helpful for our hearts. And they, they really ask us this question. Um, what do you want to leave behind? Like, like when your life comes to an end, because it's gonna. Um, I'm, I turned 40 this year, so I'm like dead in the middle. I'm super old to the teens that we work with and uh, super young to a lot of the rest of you. Uh, right in the middle, right? Yeah, there we go. But like, but like when it's over, what do you want to leave behind? Tim's five years old and, and life is flying by, isn't it? And many of you have children and and, and I remember some of those like late childhood conversations that I had with my parents. I remember when I was going to college, we drove away from the house and um, I had lived in the same house from about three or four years old all the way to 18. And uh, I remember my dad saying, hey Matt, look at that house. It'll never be the same. I was 18. I thought, huh, I wonder what he means by that. And then I went to college. And I spent a semester uh, in South Carolina at college, and then I came home, and he was right. It wasn't the same. Life had changed, right? Maybe you've had a special last conversation with someone in your life, someone who's made a meaningful impact on you, and, and you've come to the end, and, and they've said, can I, can I share with you a few last things? Those are powerful moments, aren't they? They're the kinds of things you wish you could put in a jar and keep, bottle up in some way, and, and remember every word. And the Bible is, is kind to us to give us a number of those last thoughts, last conversations. And we come to one of those in Joshua 23, beginning in verse 1. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and its heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back for you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling. I love that word in this passage. You shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, 
to love the Lord your God. Let's pray. God, it is our prayer this morning that you would show us wonderful things out of your word that would be a lamp for our feet, a guide to our path, that it would be the food that our souls need, that it would guide and direct us for today, for tomorrow, and to the very end. We know that this life is just a vapor that appears for a minute and then it's gone. And so would you guide and direct us through your word today? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We have been, as I said, through Joshua 1 through 8, where God promises to be with his people, keep his promises. He leads them through some great victories, through some incredible moments. There are some ups and downs along the way, aren't there? I mean, as there always are in all our lives, as we follow the Lord, there, there are days when we, uh, we gravitate towards our sin instead of towards God. There are days that we live in self-reliance, and, and yet God gets our attention and is faithful to lead us forward. And the whole book of Joshua has been about us going forward by faith as God leads his people. And so we fast forward from chapter 8 through the end of the conquest that happens through chapter 13. And then the next section, God gives, uh, or Joshua gives all those people a place to live, right? He he allots them a spot. uh, And that happens all the way through chapter 22. And then that brings us to Joshua's last words at the end of chapter 3. And and it's tough to miss the fact that Joshua doesn't make these last words about himself. Isn't that a good reminder? So many times, uh, big heroes from history want to tell you about all they accomplished in their life. But Joshua's not trying to point any of us to himself. He does mention himself a couple times in the verses that we read, but he's not trying to make much of Joshua. He's actually trying to point everyone who's listening to a great God. He says this, first of all, look what God has done, an unstoppably great God. He says in verse three, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done. What had they seen? Well, they had seen enemies defeated, right? It says there in verse, at the end of verse 3, you've seen all that God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. He, he had defeated their enemies. Verse 5 says that he would continue to clear the land out for his people. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. Verse 9 says, for the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. As for you, no man will be able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised. You know what makes God great? What makes God great is that he defeats all his enemies. He defeats everyone who opposes him. And I find it striking in the verses that we read that, that Joshua is not talking about what God has done, but he's also anticipating what God will do. He actually says, I've already divided up the land, everything we've conquered, and all the stuff that we will. And what he's essentially saying is, God has triumphed over his enemies, and he's going to keep on doing that. Isn't that awesome? Or like, haven't you known this in your own life? That that God has defeated um, your greatest enemies? That, That in Christ, sin has been defeated? 
that, that death has been defeated, but then don't you feel this, this tension in your soul that, that like the work's not done yet? And, and Joshua is saying, yeah, God has done all this in my lifetime and my lifetime is wrapping up. But God's got good plans to keep doing work in you. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. I want, you to, I want to read this with you. We often read the end of 1 Corinthians 15, but I was really encouraged by uh, some verses earlier in that chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. God is great because he defeats his enemies. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus is at work defeating his enemies. On the cross, he defeated sin. He took it all. He took the wrath of God and the penalty we deserved. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He defeated sin. And, and he rose from the grave and, and, and in himself defeated death. But all of us are still headed for the grave, aren't we? Barring the return of Jesus, death is coming for us. Sin, the wages of sin, Romans 6 says, is death. Sin entered the world through Adam and then death. And in the one sense, Christ has conquered death. He has defeated death. And yet most, if not all of us, again, if Christ doesn't return, are going to experience disease, old age, death. Just happened in our church family this week with someone who had a relative who they got to say their goodbyes last night. And then, and then grandma went home to be with the Lord. But... There is a day coming when the dead in Christ will rise. There's a day when Jesus' enemies, sin and death, even Satan himself, will be fully defeated. I hope that, that you have a relationship with God this morning that doesn't leave you in fear of death. So much of our society is in fear of death. God, God has been at work defeating his enemies for millennia. They have never had a chance against him. And he is great, not just because he cleared out a land for his people. He's great because he defeats all the enemies, everything that opposes him. We say, man, it doesn't feel that way today. It doesn't always, does it? But when Christ returns, when he returns to rule and reign, it will all be defeated. Remember when we bought our house, we got one of those one-year home insurances. Anybody get those? Right, they're like, the owner of this house has done such a wonderful thing for you. When you paid them $500,000 for this house. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Isn't the housing market around here nuts? Oh my goodness, right? When you paid them $500,000 for this house and they told you that is a great deal. Then the homeowner who sold you this house graciously spent $700 so that you can be insured for anything that breaks in the first 12 months of this house. 
kind of, right? It's like all insurance. And, uh, and then everything broke in month 13, right? That's how it works. But you get like this one month of home insurance, right? And I'm just super thankful that, that, that God's plan for defeating his enemies goes well beyond today and tomorrow, and it goes into forever. It's, it's not one month insurance. He who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. But God is not just great because he defeats his enemies. He's great because he provides us a home. Look at verse 4. Behold, Joshua says, I have allotted you an inheritance for your tribes. I have allotted for you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. You know, we didn't take any time in that section from chapters 14 through 22 but, but it's, it's a meaningful thing that God gives you a place. I was thinking as I was reading this about our widows. A number of widows here at Gospel Hope. And I'm sure widows or widowers experience those moments of, I don't belong. I don't even know what life looks like right now. It's, it's interesting that, that God says that he has a special place in his heart for the widows and the fatherless. That, that he's... He's giving each of us a place. I think about our singles. There's such glory, the Bible tells us, in singleness. But, but there's, a, there's a bit of a misfit in our society, isn't there? And you're like, I, I know I'm following the Lord, and this is what he has for my life. I have, Colleen has two sisters who, who are living in that stage of life. They're in their mid-30s. And, and it's, it's God's good plan for them. But, but sometimes don't we feel like we don't have a place? God is good when, when he saves you, when you become his child, when he's leading your life, he, he's put you in the right place. He's given you a place. But it's not just here, right? The, the conquest of the promised land is a little bit of a picture of a day that's coming of our real home. God provides for us. I know a number of us out here are far from home, but God has you in a place. And when you're in his hands... He knows exactly what he's doing with your life. He hasn't lost you. I lose stuff all the time. Anybody make like two or three trips out of the, like back into the house after you intended to leave? <laughs> right? You like got in the car? You're like, oh, I forgot that. You go back in, you get it. You get back in the car and you're like, oh, I forgot something else. You go back in and you, right? Like this is, this is human nature. We're forgetful. Right? God doesn't lose anybody. You're not out of place. He has a place for you. And that's why Jesus said, and we, we talked about this way back at the beginning of Joshua, that he was going to prepare a place. Don't let your heart be troubled. You say, man, this world is a mess. Yup. Yeah, my life is all out of sorts. Whoop-de-doo, my house is worth $200,000 more because everything else is a disaster. God has got us all right where he wants us. And he's leading us home. You know, I don't know what God has planned for Timothy's life. But I know as he follows the Lord, as we pray for that, and, and as Tim does that by God's grace, he's always going to be tracking with where God wants him. So I hope he doesn't miss God's perfect plan. You should stop freaking out about that. Say, God, what do you want me to do tomorrow? How can I follow you? God provides. He provides a home. He has given us a place, and he will give us a place to call home. 
But beyond that, God is great because he keeps his promises. Turn to the end of the chapter. This is, this is powerful stuff. Look at verse 14. Joshua says this, And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and in your souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. So, so look back at, at the beginning of the chapter. He says this, uh, verse three, you have seen. So, so you've seen this. God has cleared out the land. He's given you a place. He's driven out your enemies. You've seen it. But then he takes it even deeper. And he says, and you know something down to your core. You, you know it in your bones. You, you know it's true. And that's this. God has never failed one of his promises. Not one word has been broken. And think about all that Joshua had seen. Right? Like, here's a guy who had lived through an incredible, we, we don't know if he was in Egypt when God led them out of Egypt, but we would guess he was, maybe as a small child. He, he had seen God promise to take his people out of Egypt, and guess what God had done? He'd taken them out of Egypt, 10 plagues, delivered them. He, he brought them to the edge of the Red Sea where they thought they were going to die, and he carried them across. Then he'd taken them into the wilderness. In the wilderness, he had given them a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night, and he had led them every day. And for food, he had sent them bread from the sky. I mean, we see at the beginning of Joshua that that was kind of the end of that. But you wonder how many people with, with young kids were like, you wouldn't believe this, but bread fell from the sky. What? Bread fell from the sky every day, like clockwork. Don't keep, it, don't keep it on Saturday. It'll go bad. You'll have worms. But other than that, the bread was awesome. Fell from the sky. They got all the way to the edge of the promised land, and God said, I'm going to give you this land. They said, no, we don't want to go. Like, turned around and went backwards, and God wiped out a whole generation, and he kept his word, and he brought them back to the promised land, and they were like, this is a bad time of year. The Jordan River is going crazy, and God was like, I'm going to take you across that. He kept his word. And he took them into the promised land. And they were like, yeah, but those enemies are really big. Those cities have big walls. And God said, I got that. I can take care of that city. I can, I can take care of 31 cities we have record of in the book of Joshua that God delivered over. And every time he kept his word. David says it this way. I am young and now I'm old and I haven't seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Every single time, not one word had failed. And isn't it crazy that even though we have a God who just is faithful upon faithful upon faithful, that we're like, but next time, I'm worried, not so sure, I don't know if he can bring us through this virus. I don't know if he can, you know, he sold our house, but I don't know if he can give us another one. This kid we got, he needs Jesus bad. I don't know about this one. If I'm going to get through this stage, I don't know if we're going to have money for the, I don't know about next job, next situation. God is faithful. And listen, if you know Jesus, you actually already know that. 
deep in your heart, (laughs) deep in your soul, you know that God always keeps his word. God always keeps his promises. God always provides for his people. We were joking this morning in our time before about just kind of all the exhaustion and the things kind of hitting and all this stuff going on. And, and Danny prayed something that's a verse that I've hung on to many times and probably you have too, that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Why? Because God always keeps his word. He always does. And what Joshua wants people to know at the end of his life is that there's a great God who can be fully trusted. A God worth praising, a God worth clinging to, and a God worth trusting. So if we get that about God, how should we respond? Because that's the way this chapter sets up. It talks about who God is and all God has done. And then if you look at verse six, there's a therefore, right? And if you look at verse uh, 11, there's a be very careful. Here's how we should respond. So if we understand who God is, that he defeats his enemies, that he provides for his people, that he keeps his promises, how do we respond? How do we live accordingly? Look at verse six. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. That's the amount of the Bible they had at that time. Turning aside from it, neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done this day. How should we respond? We should pay attention to obeying God's word. Pay attention to obeying God's word. Be very strong to keep and to do all that God has told us to do. It's interesting there that the call is, this will take strength. It will not be easy. Do you feel the pull of our society like I do? Do do you feel the pull of sin in your own life like I do? I mean, I've been amazed in the past month. Uh, Life has been really crazy and different for me than probably it's ever been. And and so it's been interesting because I feel like temptation has come in different ways. Right, so, so it's, like, it's like the tactics are changing. And, and so instead of like this like slow buildup that I, I sense over maybe a day or two, it's like it just hits in a moment. And it's just like, bam, temptation. And I'm like, stop it, stop it, stop it. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes I fall, and sometimes I take the way of escape that God provides. And, and do you feel that? And, and our society's feeding it. Wh- whether it's our lust, whether it's our fear, whether it's our worry, whether it's our greed, whether it's our, you name it. It's just there. It's not easy to obey God. God hasn't made his word difficult to understand, has he? I mean, God started with one command. How did we do? Not well. And we didn't last very long, did we? And then God was like, I just want to give you 10 things (laughs) that will guide you. They're really simple. Just worship me, no other gods. Okay. But I really love, (laughs) I'd like to mix in. Just be faithful in worshiping me and rest. Talk about something we're terrible at, and we're not the first ones. The people of Israel struggle with it too. 
Just obey your parents. Right? Like Caleb is here. He just gave mom a look. How's that going, Caleb? Just obey your parents. Right? Just be honest. Tell, tell people the truth all the time. Don't fudge it. Don't exaggerate it. Don't lie to people to cover for yourself. Avoid sexual sin. Just be faithful to your spouse. Don't covet stuff you don't have. And all you got to do is drive by driveways and that hits you, doesn't it? And so if you have a car that you know God must want a better car for you. You're just not sure when and how. Or if you want the payment. Right? We are pulled societally and personally right away from doing what God says. And so Joshua says, if I can leave you with one thing as I'm going, just obey God. Just listen to what he says. Just get more and more familiar with how he says to live life and with his strength, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. By his grace, just do it. Don't some of you parents feel this way when you're talking to your kids? Like, if I could beg for one thing, take this book, hear what God has to say, and let it guide your life. I'd even tell you that, like, I'd even tell you that over listening to me sometimes. Or like, don't even let me be the guide of your life. Like, this. Cling to it. Pay attention to obeying God's word. I, I don't know about you, but we have a lane problem here in Utah. Have you experienced this? I drive up Redwood Road, regular basis. It's three lanes wide. Do you know what those three lanes are made for? Three cars. My car and two other people's cars. I'm very possessive of my lane because where my car belongs. But I feel like I just watched this drift. You ever watch this drift? You're like, oh, why is that car coming into my lane? <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> and it's just all the other drivers, right? It's never you. You don't drift. Because <laughs> here I am like, man, I, I wonder what that buzz on my phone was. <laughs> we were driving out of Park City last night down the hill. It's pitch black. And that road is, 80 is not incredibly well lit. And uh, as we were descending, there was a Land Rover that had broken down maybe. I didn't know those could break down, but apparently they do. If you spend that much money, it should never break down. And, uh, but it was all the way up against the median. All, like, not, like uh, in the, in the like, um, shoulder lane. And, and someone had done a very good job, like, getting it as far off the road as they could and, like, parking it all the way against. But I could just imagine the descent down out of Park City and somebody distracted, drifting into that shoulder lane, popping that Land Rover, spinning back into the road, and who knows what happens next, right? There is this tendency in our own lives to drift. And what Joshua is saying is stay in your lane. <laughs> Listen to what God says and just do it. But he goes on in the therefore, doesn't he? Look at verse 11. Pay attention to obeying God's word, but look at verse 11. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. He said a little bit that way in verse 8, but you shall cling to the Lord your God. Pay attention to loving God himself. It's crazy how easily in following God, we can drift away from loving God. We, we can become like one of the churches in Revelation where, where we're doing a whole bunch of activity, but we've lost our first love. Our hearts can grow cold, Matthew 24 says. Sin can cause that. 
We didn't read past 2 Timothy 4, 8 this morning, but we could leave God and love this world. And Joshua says, just keep on clinging to a love for God. How do you develop that love for God? It's not magic. You spend time with him. You talk to him. You don't just talk, you listen. Some of us are a lot better at talking than listening. You get around other people who love him. We're gonna have two baptisms this afternoon that I'm really, really excited about. But, but if, if you haven't spent time with a new Christian in a long time, you should really do that. Because it will remind your heart of how easy it grows cold, of how easy our love grows weak. Oh, we're doing a whole bunch of things. We're, we're super involved. We're signed up. The, the, nurse, the nursery director just called us, but, the, but we were already on the welcome team, and then we were singing, and we got like all this juggle going on. We're super involved in a hundred things. In the meantime, our love for God is just, it's growing cold. Cling to God. Love him fervently. That's the word the Bible uses. You say, man, man, Matt, my, my love for God has grown really stale. Doesn't have to stay there. It doesn't have to be stuck there. We read passages like this, you read Revelation chapter two, and what does God say? Repent! (laughs) Just go, that's not good. God, I know, you love me, and I should love you, but right now, it's really weak. Will you renew in me a heart of love? Is there sin I need to deal with that's that's causing my love for you to grow cold? Have I been absent from my time with you, or am am I just going through the motions of my time with you, but, but I just need to dive in? Would you, would you restore? I mean, you imagine you ask God, hey God, would you help me to love you more? God's gonna be like, I don't know, right? I mean, you come to God and say, God, I, I wanna love you more. I, I, wanna, I wanna draw near to you. God says, great, I draw near to people who wanna draw near to me. But don't get so busy with stuff. I feel like this is where a lot of us are this fall. At least I'll admit that I am. Right, we went through all of 2020 where we couldn't do stuff. And then we got through the spring, we got through the summer, and we're like, all right, another year to go. And then we signed up for way too much stuff. And now we're like a month in, and we're like, whoa, I'm out of practice, I'm out of shape, I haven't run like this in a long time, this is bad. Right? And we get so busy that we're like, man, I wish I'd spent time with God, but I was just too busy. Don't be too busy for time with God. I say that to you, I say that to me. Don't be too busy just, just to talk to God and let him talk to you. Don't be too busy just to hang out with other people who you know love God and, and let their love for God seep into your love for God. And your, like, that's what God wants to be doing. God does not intend our gathering on Sunday morning to be like, hey, can we catch up on all our favorite sports teams? Can we catch up on all the neat stuff that happened in life? God intends this morning to be a place where our love for him is reawakened. And we sing stuff like, uh, pardon for sin and a peace that endures. And it goes, wake up, wake up, restore. Love God fervently. And that, and that just means, and you, can, you can't have missed this as we read Joshua 23, that just means there's stuff we can't cling to, right? Verse seven, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. Look forward to verse 12. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, 
know for certain that the Lord will no longer drive out these nations before you. Don't cling to this world, its ways, and its wives. That's what these verses are saying. Be careful what you gravitate to. Be careful what you wrap your arms around. Be careful how involved you are with the society and the direction and the culture of our day. And the reason that the Bible makes such a priority on marriage is because it's the deepest and closest relationship. And so it's not just saying, don't, don't marry someone who doesn't know the Lord. What it says, be careful with whom you associate. Be careful with where your deep friendships lie. Be careful with what this world is trying to pull you into. Romans 12 says it really simply, don't be shaped by this world. 1 John 2, don't love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, I'm really thankful that what we read in Joshua 23 is not the end of the story, right? Because the people of Israel lived under uh, an, an agreement, a covenant, an arrangement with God where it was really simple. If you obey me, I'll bless you. If you disobey me, I'll curse you. And you watch, actually, as this nation is thrown out of the promised land and scattered. But isn't it a great thing that before his death, Jesus said, I'm starting a new thing? There's a new sort of relationship that you can have with me where in my death and my burial and my resurrection, it's not about your obedience. It's actually about believing and trusting and following me. I'm thankful for that change. So I want to end where I started. What do we want to leave to the next generation? What do we need to hear from the last words of someone who followed God faithfully through the ups and downs? We need to be reminded that God is great. He's great because he delivers. He's great because he provides. And he's great because he leads us day by day. He keeps his word. And then he doesn't make it complicated. He says to us, see this? Right? Matthew 28. We, got a, we have a baptism today. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Just obey God. Get to know what he wants. Do it. He'll help you. He'll give you his grace. He'll give you his strength. And then cling to him. It's one of the uh, more challenging points for me as a dad is that I have a clingy son. I'm a good old New Englander who likes my social distance. Like I was like, six feet? That sounds awesome. <laughs> Do I get a six-foot life? <laughs> it makes me, whew, it's all right in the world. There's space. My son doesn't believe in social distance. He believes in really close invasion of personal space. Like, I, we have a big couch. It's large, right? If you've ever been to our house, our living room couch is massive. It's tons of space. There's space for everyone. There's space for your drink. There's space for you to sit. There's space for a pillow next to you or two pillows if you want them. We have a whole couch. And we put on the Ryder Cup or golf is on this weekend. We put that on. And all of a sudden, I'm like, there's something in my hip. Oh, that's Tim. But that's not close enough. Then he like digs in, like down. He like climbs over top. Like I'm trying to watch something. I love you, but I'm trying to watch something. He's clean. He clings to me. And, and, and God is teaching me slowly to give up the space. 
that, that the relationship is what's precious. That word cling is like to climb on someone's back. You know what God wants you to do? Cling to him. Run to him. Jump on him. <sighs> I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to be close to you. I want to know what you have to say. You can have my life. Let's pray together. God, you are great. We, we are um, just so thankful for the deliverance that we have in Christ. That though the wages of sin is death, that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. We're thankful that you provide for us. You have a space and a place for us. You have one here in this life, but you have one in the life to come. And God, we, we are amazed how faithfully you keep our word. We break our promises so easily, our commitments, but you are always faithful. So please help us. Give us grace. Transform our hearts. Draw us away from this world and its allure, its pleasure, its goals, and draw us into a place where we obey you and love you for all the days of our lives. God, would you do that in this community? Would you draw people into a, a love for you, a belief in you, an obedience to you that would bring you great glory? Would you do that in our homes? How our hearts um, yearn for our children and our grandchildren and our brothers and sisters and our family to know Jesus? Would you keep us on focus? Catch us when we drift. We're prone to wander, Lord, we feel it prone to leave the God we love. Thank you for your word that reminds us of what's really important at the end of the day. In Christ's name, amen.